Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You can be seated for a minute, all right? I was actually kind of offended that Dr. Getch, uh, just a second ago, you said we should sing that song in retirement, and you looked at me. And then you called me a young man, so I'm really struggling right now in my identity. <clears throat> well, I'm excited to be with you this morning and looking forward to what God has for us. Take your Bible, if you would. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Jonah and chapter number four today. And uh, real quick, I want to introduce my son who's with me. Dennis, just raise your hand over here. Dennis is our oldest. He's 17. And uh, you, you'll watch him. He's kind of hobbling around. He broke his leg uh, eight weeks ago. Today's his first day without his walking boots. So uh, you'll probably see him in that walking boot later today. But Dennis is with me and uh, pastor up in Moses Lake, Washington. How many of you know where Moses Lake is? Oh, good. All right. Uh, how many of you have no clue and you don't really care? All right, good. The rest of you. Uh, Moses Lake, Central Washington. God called us to start a church there 12 and a half years ago, and it's been good to see what the Lord has been doing and how God has worked. I need help this morning, and uh, what, I, what I'm looking for today is I need, uh, I need one guy from each class, nine or uh, what, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and uh, I, need, I, need, I need help with a guy from each class that thinks he can act. Okay, so now here's, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, you as a class, if you're, in, if you're a freshman in college, you can nominate the freshman from your class to come up here. Sophomore, nominate the sophomore, junior, junior, senior, senior. So uh, I'm not going to call you. I don't know you by name. So I need four people, one guy from each group. Just come up here. All right, there's one. I got one. What grade are you? A junior. A senior. I need a sophomore. A sophomore. I need a, I need a freshman. Nine, nine. Freshman. Are you a freshman? Okay, come up here. Hurry. Come up here, guys. Come here. Come here. Sound. Can I get that mic? We'll do this. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So you guys work that out. Do you know how to do that? There we go. There we go. Good. What are you, sophomore? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. You guys just gonna give, you're just going to tell everybody your name and uh, your favorite, um, I don't know, can, thank you, Fa no, cereal, no, 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 cereal, favorite cereal, let's do that. Uh, my name is Edward Balderrama, and my favorite cereal is Cookie Crisp. Okay. I'm Colton Schmutzer, and I like Cocoa Pebbles. Did you say Cocoa Pebbles? Yes, sir. Man. Brian Graff, and I like Honey Bunches of Oats. Poly 8 sound like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Why didn't any of you say Captain Crunch? Where are my Captain Crunch people? Who just booed? Come to the altar right now. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, here's what you guys are going to do. You're going to help me out, and um, you guys think you can act. So uh, today, for just the next few seconds, um, I've got some toys here. So I'm just going to kind of dump those out. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get my phone out. My phone has a stopwatch on it. On my stopwatch, I'm going to give you 20 seconds each. You can use the toys. You can use anything on the platform, any person on the platform. 
Are we good? Okay, okay. I was making sure, you know. Uh, anyway, um, and here's what you're going to do. You are going to do your best impression of a child in the nursery. That's what you're going to do, all right? Now, now listen, listen. There is a prize. There's a prize for the person that does best. And you, now listen, you as a student body this morning, you're going to vote on who does best. Now, I don't want you to be biased and be like, yeah, I'm a junior. The juniors do best. Like, no. Wow. <laughs> you're going to vote by cheering on, like, actually who does the best. That's what you're going to do, okay? So, are you guys ready? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start from the senior and work down. Okay, you, you think you can do this? Okay, you three just step back, just step back. You have, you have 20 seconds to do your best impression of a child in the nursery. I'll give you a few seconds to think about it and go. All right, all right, give him a hand, give him a hand. Okay, all right. Next, we're going to go to the sophomore. All right, sophomore, you ready? What's your name again? Colton. What is it? Colton. Colton. All right, here's Colton with his 20 seconds. Now listen, Colton, this is 20 seconds of fame. Right now, you could go down in infamy at West Coast Baptist College. Think about that. Ready, set, go. And stop. That was great. All right, all right. We'll go to the junior next. You ready? All right, your 20 seconds starts now. Time. All right, give him a hand. Give him a hand. You ready? No. You're not? No. You want to do this? Yeah. You good? You got it? All right. Your 20 seconds starts now. All right, good job, good job. Okay, now you guys got to vote, all right? You guys all step forward, just step forward. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to cheer the loudest for the person that you think did the best, and here we go. Well, it's undisputed. Colton won, and... Uh, Thank you, sir. There's 10 bucks, all right? You guys can be seated. Now, you wonder this morning, 
Pastor Dennis, why in the world do you have them come up and act like children? Well, first off, because they've been dying to do that since they came to college. But you know what we see this morning when we look at that? We see something that we would expect from a child. I mean, right now, this morning, if, if you were to think about a typical Sunday at your church or here at Lancaster Baptist, when you go to a nursery, you expect children to act like children. You expect children who are living in the nursery to live in the nursery. But what I want us to understand this morning Every single one of us, whether you're on staff, you're a senior, you're a freshman, is that all too often, many of us still live like we're in the nursery. It's something that you would expect of a child, but it's not something that you would expect of me. It's not something that you would expect of Dr. Getch. It's not something that you would expect of Dr. Rasmussen or Dr. Weaver but you'd expect it of a child. But the simple fact is today that in your life and in my life, if we would be honest, more often than not, we live like we're in the nursery. And this morning I want to challenge you with just this simple statement. The simple statement is this, stop living in the nursery. It comes from the book of Jonah. Now, you're very familiar with the story of Jonah. But living in the nursery is something that Jonah was doing. I want to start this morning with one simple verse. We'll pray. We'll get the story of Jonah. I know you're familiar with it, but we'll just kind of recap it. And then we're just going to kind of get some takeaways and walk uh, that we can walk away with today. Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1, it says this. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 it says, but it, what, what's it? It's a revival that took place in the city of Nineveh. We'll see that in a minute. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very, what's the last word? Angry. I say it again, what's the last word? Angry. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. You know what Jonah was doing? Jonah was a man of God, a prophet of God. He was somebody that was known as being a follower of God. And yet in this moment in his life, we find Jonah living in the nursery. And what we're going to see today is that if we're not careful, you and I, we can fall into the same place that Jonah was by living in the nursery in our Christian life. And so today, just for the next few moments, I want to challenge us to stop living in the nursery. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just in a, in a moment of silence in your own heart, would you, would you pray and ask God to speak to you? You can pray just something simple of God, would you please speak into my heart today? God, would you please speak into my heart today? And then would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me today, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen to you. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you desire to use it in our lives. 
I'm thankful today, Lord, for the songs we're able to sing of your grace and your mercy and the ability to praise you and lift you up. And Lord, I pray that it would not just be a song that is sung, but Father, that it would be a life that is lived, a life that adores you for being merciful and gracious in our lives and has a desire to lift you up each and every day. And Lord, I pray that as we come to our time in the Word of God this morning, I ask you that you would use these few moments together to help us. Would you challenge us? Lord, would you speak to me again? God, I just humble myself to you, and I recognize my need of you right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless and that you'd work in a very special way. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recognize today that you know the story of Jonah, but I just want to kind of give us a little bit of a recap so that we can understand really the context and what's taking place. Of course, if you do a little bit of digging, you would find that Jonah is a contemporary. He ministered at the same time as Hosea and Amos. Hosea and Amos, if you go and you research their lives, they are prophets, of course, uh, to the nation of Israel, and they are um, prophesying, really, uh, their prophecies are about judgment. It's about God judging the people. Jonah, however, his, his prophecy, um, 2 Kings chapter number 14, you can read about it. It was, more, it was more a prophecy of God's mercy. Like, hey, listen, yes, God is going to judge, but God has not forgotten you. And, and so probably on a popularity scale during this day and age, Jonah would have been a more popular prophet. He would have been one that people wanted to hear because the message was not just God is judging you. The message was, hey, judgment is going to come, but mercy is going to follow that judgment. And so when you come to the book of Jonah, Jonah does something that is unexpected of a follower of God. And you know the story, right? Jonah chapter number one, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh and speak against that city or cry against it, the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah is challenged to take a step of faith, to go to Nineveh, to travel and to preach what God has told him to preach. Well, Jonah's heart, in his, in his heart, Jonah said, No, I'm not going to do that. And so Jonah goes, he uh, goes to the, uh, the port city of Joppa or Jaffa and he boards a boat. He gets on a boat going 2,500 miles the opposite direction. He gets on this boat trying to run or flee the presence of God. And of course, you and I, we know the story. We know that you cannot flee the presence of God. You can't run from God. And God, God throughout this entire story, he pursues Jonah. Jonah gets on this boat. He goes down into the furthest depths of the boat that he could go to. And as he's down there, he falls asleep and a storm comes. Of course, the sailors wake him up. They're wondering, who are you and why are you with us? And pray to your God that he might deliver us from this storm. And Jonah knew that the storm was sent for him. And so what did Jonah do? He tells them, well, here's the solution. Uh, the storm is sent for me. The solution is throw me overboard and let me die. And then the storm will stop. You know what I find interesting? Jonah was willing to throw his life away before obeying God. Hey, you and I, I should think about this. We know the story. Like we know God had prepared Jonah chapter one, verse number 17. God had prepared a fish to swallow him up. Jonah didn't know that. Do you know what Jonah was trying to do? Here, stay with me. Jonah was, he was actually willing to commit suicide before obeying God. Now I want to just bring out two simple thoughts. This has nothing really to do with the message, but just something 
that I feel I want to say to you as a student body. Number one, whenever you do your plans, you're saying, God, I'm willing to throw my life away instead of using it for you. God, I'm willing to waste what you've given me instead of using it for you. That's the same place Jonah was in. Secondly, this morning, I would say this. There are some of you here in a group of this size, this is, has to be true. There are some of you here that there has been situations that have happened in your life that has caused you to come to a place where Jonah was to say, God, I'm actually willing to throw my life away through suicide before following you. Now, Pastor Dennis, why do you bring that up at a, at a college, a Bible college? Because I know that the devil can use anything to get you to think that you have no value, to get you to think that no situation, or excuse me, that a, a situation is, uh, cannot be overcome. But I just want to tell you this morning that that is a lie from the devil. And if you're here today and you have contemplated something like that, seek help. See somebody. Find somebody and say, man, I, I've been thinking about this, dealing with this. I just want to tell you, you're about to go home on break. And when you go home on break, some things might not be the way that you wanted them to be. And there might be some discouragement and some frustration and some hurt and some anxiety that's at home. And the devil would love to climb up on your shoulder and say, hey, listen, it's, worth, it's worthless. It's pointless. Just throw things away. I just want to encourage you. You have a God that loves you, cares about you. You have a student body that loves you and cares about you and other leaders that are here. I would love to be a help to you. And I just honestly, I want to bring that out to you this morning because I just want to say your life is worth living and giving to God. And God has more for you than discouragement and depression that the devil will throw your direction. So Jonah is willing to throw his life away. Jonah chapter two, uh, of course, Jonah 117, the Lord prepared a fish and that fish swallowed him up. Jonah chapter two is kind of Jonah's light bulb moment. He kind of comes to grips with what God is asking him to do. And Jonah uh, kind of recounts some of the Psalms and he says a prayer back to the Lord. And this is a prayer of kind of repentance uh, to a certain degree. Jonah gets thrown up out of the fish in the end of chapter number two. And Jonah chapter three, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, a second time saying, all right, Jonah, now's your second chance. Get up, go to Nineveh. And so Jonah goes, and Nineveh is a great city, a city that would be a three days journey to travel through. Jonah travels in one day's journey, and he begins to preach. And of course, you know the story that uh, the word comes from the pauper to the king of, of the judgment that is coming to the people of Nineveh. And chapter three is an incredible chapter. Nineveh, the whole city, the whole, the whole place, uh, th hundreds of thousands of people repent and turn to God. I mean, it's really just a phenomenal revival that takes place. You see them going from sackcloth, going into sackcloth and ashes, true repentance, and you see them stopping the commerce, saying, hey, we recognize we need God more than anything. And, and I wish, as probably you do as well, that Jonah chapter 3 was the end of the book. Like, I wish Jonah chapter 3 and verse number uh, uh, 10, I wish that was the, the end of the story. But it's not. And we find Jonah... This prophet of God who's ran from God, who is willing to throw his life away, repent, turn, and be used by God, say yes to God, and God would use his life to impact hundreds of thousands of people. We find Jonah ending back up, living like he's a nursery child again. And it starts in verse number four or verse number one. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. The revival displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. 
So what took place? Well, read with me verse 2 down through verse number 11. And he, Jonah, he prayed unto the Lord and he said, I pray, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Didn't, didn't we have this discussion already, God? Therefore, I fled from thee before thee unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. <clears throat> uh, repentest thee of the evil. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For because it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah, he went out of the city and he sat down on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he, he fainted and wished in himself to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Jonah, you've had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousands per thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Here's what we find in Jonah chapter number four. I'm just going to give really two, two thoughts today. The first thought I want us to look at is I want us to see Jonah's, what I'm going to call Jonah's self-centeredness. I want us to see Jonah living in the nursery. If you go to the passage, here's what we find taking place. Jonah went to Nineveh. He preached. The revival happens. But things, listen, things did not go the way Jonah thought they would go. Things did not go the way that Jonah had planned that they would go. And so what is Jonah's response? Jonah's response is anger. Jonah's response is bitterness. Jonah's response is selfishness. You see, when you look at the life of Jonah, because, listen, stay with me, because things did not go the way that Jonah wanted, Jonah became completely self-focused. And let's be honest, in your life and my life, I, I hate to admit this today, but probably more often than I want to admit this happens. When things don't go my way, Dennis can, be, can, Dennis can become self-centered. Dennis can become selfish. Oh, oh now you would say, and I, and I would say, but listen, Pastor Dennis, I mean, if I preached and hundreds of thousands of people got saved, if I served and hundreds of thousands of people got saved, then, then that would be the way I wanted. Okay, 
But let's take ourselves and put our, put our, our story in our context and understand that there are certain situations in your life and certain situations in my life that we think are going to go one way and they don't. And so what do we do? We resort, like Jonah, to selfishness. Let me show you real quick some ways that selfishness or self-centeredness identifies itself. Number one, this morning, I want you to understand that self-centeredness, it always, self-centeredness always demands what is better for me. All right, self-centeredness always demands what is better for me. We read, the, we read the passage, but you can see it in verse number three. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse number eight, it is, at the end of it, it is better for me to die than to live. Here is Jonah. Listen, think about it. Here is Jonah at the place that he would rather die than see God work in the lives of people. That's complete, complete selfishness. Most Christians often live a better-for-me life more than they realize. I'll do that if it's better for me. I'll serve if it's better for me. I'll follow up if it's better for me. I'll do this if it's... What's better for me? We tend to live that way when life is going well. We definitely tend to live that way when life is not. I love how one author wrote it when he said this, trials reveal the real me, especially when I don't get my way. Trials reveal the real me, especially when I don't get my way. Hey, you know what? Your self-centeredness and my self-centeredness, one of the best ways to identify it is when I am living a better for me life. How's that going in your dorm room? How's that going with your schoolwork? How's that going to go next week when you go home? I mean, you haven't seen your family for a while, maybe haven't seen siblings for a little while. Is self-centeredness going to show up because you're going to say, well, that's what's better for me. Self-centeredness always demands what's better for me. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Self-centeredness often causes me to accuse God. Self-centeredness often causes me to accuse God. Verse number two. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before Tarshish, before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful God and a God slow to anger and a God of great kindness and a God that repenteth thee of the evil or is willing to forgive. Verse number two actually is insight into chapter number one, verses one through three. A lot of people wonder, why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Well, part of it is right here because Jonah, when God first came to Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, oh, well, Lord, I don't want to go because you're forgiving, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger. And here's here's the real core of it. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be forgiven. Okay, now you know the story. The Ninevites, Nineveh, one of the capital cities of Assyria, they were enemies of God. 
They had, they had been at this time, they had been a people that had committed uh, completely atrocious things against the people of God. And so you and I, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, we could justify Jonah's hatred for the Assyrians. We, we could justify it. Why? Well, look what they've done to him. Look at how they've treated his family. I mean, maybe he lost a grandma or a grandpa, or maybe his family had been affected by the Assyrians. Uh, no wonder he hated these people. But here's where Jonah's self-centeredness shows up. It causes him to, th- listen, it causes him to throw God's character back in God's face. You see, self-centeredness causes me to accuse God. God, you're too gracious. You're too merciful. This is why I didn't want to come, because I knew that you are ready to forgive. Here's what I find sad. Jonah liked forgiveness when he needed it, but he didn't like forgiveness when other people needed it. Hey, in your life, self-centeredness will show up when somebody that you don't like is blessed, and you seemingly are not. <clears throat> I recognize this morning that many of you, man, you are training to go into ministry. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'll come back to this in just a minute. As you go out into ministry, can I just tell you the flat-out truth? Sometimes things don't go the way you think they will. And there's going to be times in your life that you're going to see, you're going to see somebody at school, here at school, somebody that maybe gossiped about you or somebody that didn't treat you correctly or somebody that was a little uh, maybe rude to you while you were here in college. You're going to watch it in 10 or 12 years. Man, it's going to seem like the Lord's just blessing them and you're going to be in a ministry and you're going to be doing well and moving forward, but you're going to think comparatively, man, God seems to be blessing them more than he blesses me. That's when self-centeredness identifies itself because then I go... God, why not me? I mean, I know you're a good God, but not to me. And we throw God's character back in his face. Self-centeredness, number three, it causes me to disregard others around me. Self-centeredness causes me to disregard other people around me. In the story, Jonah, he was upset that God was giving a second chance to Nineveh. Here's Jonah who had literally just had a second chance. And yet he's upset that God is giving Nineveh a second chance. He was living with prejudice and hatred for these people. You know, Jonah was, it's so crazy when you just dig in. Jonah would have rathered God's judgment come down from heaven and these people go to hell, then receive God's forgiveness. Self-centeredness often causes us to just have a disregard for people around us. I don't care how they feel. I don't care what they think. I don't care about them. I become the central focus. 
And again, I recognize today we're talking about a prophet of God and we're talking about Nineveh and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people getting saved. And so we can justify in our minds and we can say, oh, listen, Pastor Dennis, that's great. That's Jonah's story, but that's not me. But just be honest with yourself this morning. Self-centeredness, selfishness will often show up in your life by just a disregard for the people around you. And when things don't go your way, the mindset becomes what's better for me. God, you don't care anymore. I don't care what everybody else thinks. Number four, how does self-centeredness show up? Well, self-centeredness often causes me to exaggerate my circumstances. Self-centeredness often causes me to exaggerate my circumstances. In verse nine, God asks Jonah a question. Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? (laughs) And Jonah said this, I do well to be angry, even unto death. That's a funny statement to me. Here's what Jonah is saying. Again, the it is better for me to die than to live. He's been there, but here's what he's saying. Uh, it is a good thing to be angry, and I'm going to be angry until the day I die. It is good for me. Question for you. Have you ever been like really frustrated or mad? I mean, how many have siblings? You got siblings? Okay, so if you have siblings, like you've been angry or mad. If you have a roommate, you've been angry or mad. Like it's just life. If you're married, no, that doesn't happen in marriage. No, I'm just kidding. You've been angry or mad. Do you know what we do when we're angry, when we're mad, when we're self-centered? We exaggerate the circumstance, but here's my question. When you're angry or mad, like be honest with yourself, do you actually like the way you feel? Be honest. The fact of the matter is, like, some of you are like, yeah, I do like the way I feel. You do for, like, that moment that you're heated, that moment that you're like, oh, I'm going to get them. But then, like, 20 seconds after, you're like, oh, I hate being mad. You know what Jonah's doing? He's exaggerating the circumstance. Yes, God, I'm glad to be angry even unto death. You know, when we, get, when we become self-centered, do you know what we do? We exaggerate our circumstances. We make them bigger than they really are. Why is Jonah upset about this? Okay, verse number nine. Jonah's upset because a gourd, a vine, a plant had shriveled up and died. Jonah's like, hmm, I'm taking my basketball and going home. God, you're not playing my sport with my rules. Self-centeredness. I see Jonah, I look at him today and I see his self-centeredness, but I want you to notice secondly with me today, I want you to look at God's answer of grace and forgiveness. All right, and don't miss this. We're gonna hit a couple thoughts and I'll give you some takeaways and we'll be done. God's grace and forgiveness. We just read the the chapter, so I'm not going to go back and read all of the verses. But when you go and you just read the whole book of Jonah, you find a number of times that God sends something Jonah's way. And God sends all of these things Jonah's way because, and stay with it, because God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson about grace, about forgiveness, and about dealing with things the way he deals with things. Chapter number one, God pursues Jonah in a storm. God pursues Jonah in a fish. 
Chapter number two, God pursues Jonah in the belly of the whale. Chapter three, God pursues Jonah by the word of the Lord coming to him a second time. Chapter number four, God pursues Jonah. God had prepared a gourd. God had prepared a vehement east wind. God had prepared the sun. You go, what is all of that? That is God, listen, that is God trying to get Jonah's attention. And then he concludes it all in verse 10 and verse number 11. And God is teaching the lesson in verse 10 and verse number 11 to Jonah. He is teaching him the lesson about forgiveness and about grace. Here's what God says to Jonah. Jonah, you have compassion on a plant, but you could care less about people. Jonah, you are upset. You are upset that I killed a gourd, but you would be happy if I killed a whole generation. Hey, Jonah, you didn't, you didn't do anything for the gourd. You didn't cause it to grow. You didn't cause it to come up. And yet, Jonah, I created the people. Here's what he's helping him understand. Jonah, the gourd is temporary. People are eternal. Jonah, you've got bitterness stuck in your heart. And Jonah, it is ruining you. The story of Jonah and the fish, I love what one guy said about it. This this story is not just about God using Jonah to reach Nineveh. It's about God using Nineveh to reach Jonah. So what is God doing? God is teaching Jonah about God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's care. Why? Because selfishness, bitterness, and anger... It will ruin your life. So here's where we want to spend the last few minutes today. I stated this a moment ago. And many of you know this already. As you travel through life, through college, through marriage, through raising children, through church planting or missions work, or music work, or children's work. Whatever you do in your life to pursue God, the simple truth today is this. Things are not always going to go your way. And when things don't go your way, you're going to be tempted to live in the nursery. You're going to be tempted to live with selfishness and anger and bitterness. But when you really get a glimpse of God's grace and God's forgiveness... Selfish, bitterness, and anger cannot coexist with that. And so here's what I want to do today. I'm going to give you in the next five minutes four things that will help you. Four things that will help you when things don't go your way. Four things that will help you deal with hurts and disappointments. Four things that will help you stop living in the nursery. Number one, recognize this. In life, and many of you know this, in life, hurts and disappointments will come. And some of you already know this, but in life, hurts and disappointments will come. Things don't always go your way. I've had to learn this even recently, and I don't have the time to tell you the stories, but from October of 2021 until February of this year, 16 months In that time, my father passed away and both of my brother-in-laws passed away. 
Our church went through just, I mean, of course, COVID years were crazy for everybody, but uh, in that time, we had a number of families move away. One of them is now on staff here, the Blems, which I'm still dealing with my jealousy on them coming here. Uh, but <clears throat> during, the, during those years, I was a chaplain, and I still am, but during a short period of time, during four months, I dealt with 18 traumatic events. 16 of them, or 13 of them resulted in death. Six of them were from our church. You know why I say that this morning? Not so you feel bad for me. I say that because I had to come to the understanding hurts and disappointments will happen. Things don't always go the way we plan. So, Pastor Dennis, why say that today? Because the fact of the matter is that if you, if you go out in life, if I go out in life, if Dr. Getch goes out in life thinking nothing bad is ever going to happen, then when something bad does happen, we resort to selfishness. But if I go out thinking, hey, life happens, disappointments will come, hurts will be there, if I acknowledge that before I even start, it's going to help me deal with them as they come. Why? Not because I'm planning on the bad. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about having an understanding that in life, hurts and disappointments, they will come. Secondly, Hurts and disappointments must be dealt with God's way. Hurts and disappointments must be dealt with God's way. <clears throat> if we deal with things our way, we want to get even. If we deal with things our way, we want to let bitterness fester. If we deal with things our way, we want to let those thoughts and intentions and frustrations just simmer. And when we do that, we are like what's written in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 15. We allow that root of bitterness and that's going to spring up and it's going to trouble us and many people will be defiled, affected by that bitterness. So hurts and disappointments must be dealt with God's way. What is God's way? Very quickly, Ephesians 4.32, you know the verse. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hey, hurts and disappointments are dealt, or they, they do come our way. What do I do? I have to deal with them God's way. What is that? Well, it's being kind to the people around me. Kindness in this verse, it has to do with being gracious. I'm tender-hearted or compassionate and sympathetic. I'm forgiving. I love how one author wrote about forgiveness. It's this, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the unchangeable consequences of another's sin against me. In turn, I give up my right to get even and I trust God with the outcome. I'm going to read that again. Agreeing to live with the unchangeable consequences of another's sin against me and in turn giving up my right to get even and I trust God with the outcome. You say, Pastor Dennis, why talk about forgiveness? Because in your life and in my life, sometimes hurts and, disappointment, hurts and disappointments come through people. Dr. Getch talked about being raised in ministry. I have been raised in ministry. My dad was a pastor. Uh, he was in full-time ministry for 40 years and then served with us for a number of years before he died. 50 years total of ministry that my dad served. My great-grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. I have a cousin who was a pastor. I have a cousin's uh, husband who is a youth pastor. Right now, I think there are six people in full-time ministry in my immediate family. Ministry is all I've ever known. 
In August, I was, uh, or July, I, I was on a trip with my wife, and we met up with a friend of ours. Um, and uh, this gal, she grew up in ministry, and Dr. Getch, it blew my mind because we were just... Uh, we were on a little, um, a little sailing thing just across a little body of water, and she was there, and, and she said to me, she said, Dennis, you and Hannah had something I did not growing up. And I said, what's that? She said, you had consistency in your home. She was like, you had your dad preach on Sunday and act, actually like live it Monday through Saturday. And I did. My dad is my hero. My dad is the best Christian, best soul winner I've ever known in my life. But that's not everybody's story. So here's why I say that. Sometimes hurts and disappointments come through people that you know. And you have to learn to forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean I allow that person in my sphere of trust again. It just means I understand forgiveness. Why? Paul said, forgive because you've been forgiven. I heard yesterday on the radio as I was driving here, or maybe, it, maybe it's a book. That's eh, a book I'm reading right now. Uh, someone just said, when we truly understand forgiveness like God has given us, we don't hesitate to forgive because we realize how much we've been forgiven. Hurts and disappointments must be dealt with God way, God's way. Number three, your hurts and disappointments, they are known and they are seen by God. Hey, listen, the Lord knows what you go through. He knows what disappointments are there. He knows what is taking place. I say this at our church often, and you know it here. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. Hey, Dennis Fountain needs that. Because in my life, when things don't go the way I plan, I'm caught by surprise. God never is. So as you deal with life and as you think about not living in the nursery, remember your hurts and disappointments, they are seen by God. And lastly today is this. You can trust God with your hurts and disappointments. You can trust him. Since he knows, he already has a solution. And things may not go the way you want them to go, but I promise you, you can trust him. So this morning, I just want to ask you, I want to ask you today if you've been living in the nursery. What do you mean, Pastor? Have you just been selfish, allowing situations that haven't gone your way to cause anger and bitterness and cause you just to go down this deep hole? If that's you, then today would you just step back and say, God, God, help me to deal with these things the way you, you're dealing with me. If it's a person that's mistreated you, God, help me to forgive. If it's a situation that's causing anger and bitterness and hurt and frustration, Come back to the place where you say, God, I, run, I want to recognize that I can trust you with this. Today, maybe you just make the decision. God, I've been living in the nursery lately, and I don't want to anymore. And for some of you here this morning, you're deep, in, or excuse me, your hurts and your disappointments, they go deep. Can I tell you, forgiveness with people is not a one-time decision. Forgiveness is, God, I choose to forgive every time I think about it. And tomorrow, I choose to forgive when I think about it again. That's right. And then even understanding, God, things didn't go my way, but I choose to trust you today. And tomorrow, God, I choose to trust you today. I want to ask you this morning, would you make a decision to stop living in the nursery? We all need this.